What is the role of the Humboldt County Office of Education in the community? Hello, I'm Michael Davies Hughes, Humboldt County Superintendent of Schools, and welcome to our first edition of our podcast, Humco Learn. My guest is Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, Dr. Colby Smart, and together today we'll discuss the county office's role in Humboldt County. So welcome, Colby. Really happy to have you on this inaugural edition of the Humco podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's really good to be here. I, I feel very fortunate. I look forward to the conversation today. Colby, let's start off with having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you come, came to serve in this capacity. Sure. Um, you know, my journey is a lot like other uh, educators in, in our profession. It's uh, you start off doing one thing and you find yourself doing another. And so I actually started off as a high school uh, history teacher, social studies teacher at Clear Lake High School in Lake, Lake County, California. Go Lake County. Go Lake County. It's where I'm from originally, actually. It's actually I, I took that position because that was the high school that I graduated from. Oh. And my old history teacher uh, retired, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. I was right out of the credential program and moved right back to my alma mater. Hey, that's pretty special, Colby. Yeah, and so from there, I moved back up to Humboldt County because my wife of 20 years, we just really love this area, and we wanted to raise our children here. And from there, I taught at Ferndale High School. Again, there I taught computer science and social studies. And I taught there um, for a number of years and decided, you know what, I'd like to take a, an opportunity to explore different things. And that's when I worked at Humboldt State University, now Cal Poly Humboldt. And there I really dug into developing distance learning programs for the departments up there. And after about seven years at now Cal Poly Humboldt, I decided, you know, I really miss K-12 education. And an opportunity came up here at the county office as an e-learning specialist in 2012, and that's when I joined the team. I remember that time. Yeah, I remember it was an exciting, exciting time. And so from there, I've been here now for almost 10 years, and slowly and um, with a lot of work, uh, I evolved, my positions evolved. I took a position overseeing curriculum and instruction here at the county office for a number of years, including our HERC Center. And then, you know, long story short, I'm now here as assistant superintendent for educational services. It's a great educational journey that you've had, Colby. And you've been here almost 10 years, so you have quite a bit of experience mm -hmm. in understanding how the organization works. One of the foci that we have for today's podcast is to understand what the role of the county office is. So would you share with the audience um, what the role of the county office is? Because they may not know. It's a great question. I think the first thing the audience should know, Michael, is there's, it's not a singular role. The county office of education serves me, in many different capacities for many different reasons, for many different school districts, and many different children all over our county. In fact, uh, Humboldt County has a little under 18,000 students in the TK-12 system right now, but some of our programs, for example, serve students pre-transitional kindergarten, which if we have time, I'd be happy to go into that. So when I say it serves multiple roles, the County Office of Education is responsible from a broad brush, high-level um, high perspective, 
County office is responsible for the fiscal mm, oversight and solvency of our districts in the county. We also do things related to other types of compliance where we support and approve LCAPS, which is a local control accountability plan. We also help districts with their accountability systems and their improvement systems through differentiated assistance. And so those are just some of the required elements of the County Office of Education. But in Humboldt County in particular, our county office has a long tradition of filling in the gaps that our smallest school districts simply can't do by themselves. We have here in Humboldt County 31 school districts. If you count the County Office of Education, 32, because we do have our own schools, which I can talk about. But in Humboldt County, most of those school districts are very small. And we have what's called a diseconomy of scale. It's very expensive to educate children in rural communities. And so why I bring that up is the county office has a tradition of providing services for those districts that they can't necessarily do themselves. For example, our uh, Humboldt Educational Resource Center is a lending library of over 60,000 um, books and materials for schools to check out. We also offer professional development and we have college and career resources, a whole number of things to provide um, and nurture and help support our districts and charter schools all over the county. That's just a little bit about what we do. If you don't mind, I'd like to maybe back up and talk about the structure a little bit. So we have the county superintendent, which is you, Superintendent Wait a Davis That's Hughes. That's me. It, well, it certainly let is. Write, let me write that down. <laughs> okay, I've got it. The 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 Humco uh, Learn Leader, <laughs> and then we have something called Educational Services. It's a division that um, oversees curriculum and instruction supports, court and community schools, nutrition, foster homeless youth services, uh, our LCAP that I mentioned support a whole number of things also uh, including career and college uh, resources. That's a very large division of about nine uh, departments, also including our early childhood. Um, other parts of the organization include business services, which take care of transportation, of um, you know maintenance and operations, and also our fiscal services. And then we have uh, our special education department, which is really designed to help address that gap that I was talking a, lot, a little bit about earlier, where we provide occupational ser uh, therapy services, special education services, um, and a number of other things. So it's a very big organization mm -hmm. full of very diverse people, diverse programming, and really designed to support the unique needs of all those different districts and charter schools in our community. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, Colby, because the districts, as you mentioned, are very diverse in Humboldt County in terms of size and in terms of resources. As the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, how do you help ensure that these districts and schools get the right amount of services from HCOE? Well, the most important thing is to be a good listener and to really understand not only the current um, uh, situation that a district is uh, involved in, but what are their goals? What are their values? What are their resources? And what does their community um, see as valuable 
as, as, a, as a district and or a charter school. So listening is exceptionally important. A one-size-fits-all service model doesn't work in an area like this because we have a district, our smallest district, depending on the time of year, is between seven and nine students, and our largest district is about 3,400 students. And while some of the needs certainly overlap, the basics, good reading instruction, mathematics instruction, are the same. They look different uh, depending on the size and the geographic location of the district. So for example, I mentioned reading instruction. Reading instruction can and does look different in a tiny district um, where you've got one teacher teaching up to five different grades, as opposed to a larger district that can focus on a single uh, grade level. So listening is, is really important. Um, having a physical understanding of where these districts are and, and also um, bring, finding opportunities to bring districts together to identify common goals and opportunities to move their um, districts forward. Great, Colby. That certainly helps to uh, hopefully enlighten our audience, our listening audience, to the role of the County Office of Education. You know, one of the things that I have noticed is that in talking to people as far as the superintendent's role is I hear things like, well, you're you're the boss of all the school districts in Humboldt County. And, Aren't you? And I'm certainly not, you know, but that, that's kind of a misunderstanding. Can, can you talk a little bit about what the authority is of the Humboldt County Office of Education? You've talked about LCAP. You've talked mm -hmm. about some of that fiscal oversight. But, you know, when a parent wants to address an issue that's going on in their school, the Humboldt County Office of Education is not that first stop, is it? And so, you know, where does, where does that role kind of end for the county office and where does the district start or vice versa? Yeah, no, the, thank you for that question, Michael. So you're, you're correct. I mean, the county office does not have direct oversight um, of staffing. Okay, so for example, we don't hire the teachers. We don't lay teachers off. The individual school districts are independent um, civic bodies, if you will. They have school boards that are elected. Um, and in fact, many communities, that is the only civic organization within that community. So the schools are extremely important to um, the unique characteristics of that community. So the county office does not have direct oversight, as I mentioned. However, we do get calls from community members who may not understand how to um, access a particular school district for a particular reason. So we often um, offer uh, clarity on how to who to talk to in a district or a charter school and that sort of thing. I would say that um, the so regarding authority, as I mentioned, it's independent. Where we come in in terms of um, supporting districts rather than authority, it's more about influence. How can we leverage our resources to support the development and the capacity of the teaching workforce? in that district. I'd say, you know, a relatively new area of uh, authority that the county office has is that is uh, of ensuring that teachers are properly credentialed um, in the jobs that they're in. Thanks, Colby. <clears throat> Colby, the COVID-19 pandemic has been hard on our educational community. You know, we understand that the normal trajectory of learning for students has been disrupted to a certain extent, both academically, social-emotionally. 
What are the, some of the ways that the county office can help teachers, administrators, support staff, and parents get students back on track? Mm-hmm. One of the roles, and I believe one of the important elements of support that we offer is a way to distill what amounts to be a mountain of information related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So during the pandemic, we, our, our curriculum instruction folks, set up a whole network of, um, of uh, communities of practice around distance learning. So when we transitioned as an entire, well, nation really, into distance-based learning, we set up a structure to where teachers could come and get that information and build the, that teaching capacity uh, during the pandemic, during the transition. Now, on the flip side, we've set up a whole network of instructional coaching, um, and also we've done a lot of um, evidence-based research about how do you identify what students are, quote-unquote, falling behind, how do you um, make up for that lost learning. And so, for example, one of the evidence-based strategies that we've identified is high-intensity tutoring. And so by, by doing that research, by identifying resources, we can help districts um, build uh, their capacity. Um, another thing that it's important um, uh, to mention is that as a county office, it's our responsibility, especially in a rural area like this, is to try and be as responsive as possible. So, for example, um, coming out of the pandemic, we didn't just, you know, turn the light on and turn the light off and then try and turn the light back on, there was a period of transition. And so through a um, bill called AB 130, the state of California made it a requirement that school districts offer long-term independent study that was um, available to families who were not ready to go back to a face-to-face learning environment. And so um, what we did as a county office is we set up an independent study program where we hired teachers, we created a Humboldt County independent study consortium where we worked with over 14 school districts who didn't have the the financial uh, resources or the staffing in order to provide this new required resource um, uh, for students in our community. And so we hired uh, teachers to distribute, and that goes back to that diseconomy of scale right now that I was talking about earlier. We were able to distribute that cost um, over 14 districts, making that program available to districts who otherwise wouldn't be able to do that. Hey, thank you, Colby. You know, one of the things that we hear quite a lot about uh, is career and technical education, or CTE. What is this? Who's doing it? Why is it good for kids? Well, career technical education is one of the most exciting aspects of um, public education. Um, CTE, as uh, it, a lot of people will say, career technical education actually does exist in some form in all of our comprehensive high schools in the county. And when I say some forms, it's programs everything from you know business, construction, uh, aquaponics, and a whole number of other things. Um, computer science, um, there are arts-related career technical education uh, courses and pathways. 
why it's good for kids is because it offers an avenue or a glimpse into what the, the future of work will look like for that student. It also works on critical areas of applied knowledge. So suddenly, a student who was learning mathematic concepts in a, in a classroom is now able to apply those mathematic concepts directly, directly <clears throat> by engaging in a world of work activity. So the county office plays a unique role in, in career technical education. We have a whole department called Career and College Resources. And what we do is we help support existing CTE programs for high schools and charter schools in the county. We also have our own programs, one of which is called Humboldt Hydro Farms, where it's a hydroponic greenhouse, and it's a partnership with American Hydroponics um, up in Arcata. It's actually a partnership with Redwood Acres because that's where the greenhouses are, um, are located. And this particular program was originally designed for our court and community students as a way to give them real-world experience in greenhouse technology, um, which happens to be hydro hydroponics. That program has been so successful, other charter schools, in fact, three other charter schools right now, have um, started bringing their students to take part in these classes. The ultimate goal in that program is to, by the end of their time in the program, they'll be industry certified in hydroponics. And those, those skills, those certifications are directly transferable into the workforce. So students who may decide, well, college isn't for me or the military may not be for me, this is an opportunity for students to get into entry level opportunities directly into the workforce. And in many cases, it's not an either or. Many students who are, who are college bound uh, thrive in CTE courses. And so typically CTE is found at the high school level, um, but there, are, there is one district, I believe one district right now, Eureka City Schools, that has CTE, CTE opportunities down in the middle school, in the middle school, which is ex really, really exciting. CTE cannot be done by schools in the county office alone. The programs that we offer the Trades Academy, for example, could not exist without valuable partnerships with our business community and other agencies, such as uh, the Chamber of Commerce uh, and, you know, those sorts of entities. And so CTE is exciting. It's an exciting uh, set of programs. <laughs> Thanks, Colby. You know, you mentioned the great partnerships that we have with other mm -hmm. organizations in our local community and actually around the world. Um, can mm -hmm. you share a little bit about the partnerships that you see as having a positive impact in our community? Absolutely. Well, um, there are so many, and I think it's one of the really wonderful things about living up here in Humboldt County is I think people generally realize to do the best work, you can't do it alone. And so we've got very, very strong partnerships with our public agencies like Department of Health and Human Services, First Five, the Workforce Development Board, but also our business community, our tribal partners, uh, and civic, civically oriented um, organizations such as uh, Queer Humboldt is an important one, Black Humboldt, uh, and others. Parent uh, programs, these partnerships help not only make our programs better, but they breathe life and texture into our programs in a way that just 
doing it alone is not possible. So we're always looking for new and exciting and impactful partnerships. One of the ones I'm involved in right now is a partnership with the government of Taiwan and um, the Ministry of Education and a few universities over there. And the idea is to develop sister school relationships with schools in Taiwan and schools in Humboldt County. And currently we're working on about four different sister school relationships and not just sister school relationships, but um, programs designed to develop leadership skills for young people. One program um, that I'm working on with Klamath Trinity School District and the um, Indian Education de Department in that district is a program for indigenous um, cultural uh, youth exchange in, with a tribe in Taiwan called the, the uh, Zhou tribe and also the three tribes within that particular district, mm -hmm. the Yurok Karuk and the Hupa. And what that program is designed to do is give students an opportunity to share about their home cultures, explore the similarities, but also recognize the differences in the culture. And so we've been doing that now for about a year and it's gonna continue. And it's my hope that we actually bring our students over to Taiwan in the not too distant future. To, to meet their new friends. That sounds uh, really in exciting, person. Colby. Yeah. Really exciting. Yeah. Hey, Colby, you know, we hear a lot about equity mm -hmm. and social justice. What do these terms mean in the context of the classroom and the educational environment? And how is HCOE supporting districts with their equity efforts? Mm -hmm. Well, I can't remember who told me, but I'm certainly not going to take credit for this. But somebody mentioned that if you can predict what the educational outcomes are, whether they're academic or social-emotional outcomes before you step in a, in a classroom, you know that there's an equity problem. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I know that um, English learners are, gonna, you know, are going to um, have disproportionate um, outcomes for suspension, for, for example, in a district, um, before I get into the classroom, I know that there's a structural issue with gaining access um, to educational opportunities, which all students are constitutionally um, have a right to that. So I know that that's an indicator that there's an access issue, but also that there's a capacity issue. And so one of the things that we do uh, at the Humboldt County Office of Education is we help districts um, through providing professional development opportunities. We're in our third, third year of what we call the equity series. The first year was, you know, a traditional conference, but now it's really evolved into something uh, much more um, expansive and much more um, in-depth. And that's led by um, our equity and inclusion and belonging specialist, Sharon Blank. But in, in, in addition to that, <clears throat> Those partnerships that we talked about are really critical. One of the partnerships that we have, based on listening to our community partners, is we've established a, a position solely dedicated to um, supporting families, English learner families, we call it the uh, English learner family liaison position, where they help parents who may not understand the um, the educational institution and how you navigate all of that 
She helps, she does translations uh, with IEPs. She helps connect them to resources and schools. And just her whole position is really designed to help English learner families, documented or not documented, really um, be as successful as they can integrating into the school community. Thank you, Colby. Mm -hmm. Colby, you've covered a lot of ground with us today. We're coming to the time in our podcast mm -hmm. that uh, we're going to do the lightning round. I'm going to ask you 10 questions in quick succession uh, that I'd like you to answer. So you ready to go? I am. Here we go, Colby. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, I would say definitely bringing with my family, gardening, um, fishing, and traveling. Mm. Texting. Or talking? <laughs> talking. <laughs> Favorite day of the week and why? Uh, Monday because it's full of promise. Mm. Favorite city in the world besides a beautiful Eureka? <laughs> Fez, Morocco. <laughs> Fez, Morocco. Yes, indeed. One of my mm, favorite We'll have to places. talk some more about that. Love that. Last non-work related book that you read? Uh, talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. T. Or coffee? Uh, really, Michael, you know me. Um, it's both, depending on the time of day. Afternoon, it's tea. Coffee, it's morning. Two words that coworkers would use to describe you. Mm, can I use one of the word? One of my options. Can it be hyphenated? <laughs> sure. Okay, good. So the first one is hardworking, and then the second one is strengths-based. Mm. Person you admire the most? Well, uh, my sister, my sister Jody Mays. Sitting at the beach or watching the beach from a boat? <laughs> Being on water is always preferential. <laughs> and hopefully catching fish right, oh, while you're out there. Exactly. I wouldn't do much watching the beach. I'd be more watching my line. And the most profound question of all, Colby, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> well, I suppose that depends if the crackers have animals in it. Colby, really appreciate you being with us today on our inaugural Humco podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Audience, we look forward to seeing you the next time on the show. Until then, Humco Learn. Humco Learn. Thank you, Michael. Michael.